0: This is a CBC Podcast.
1: I am looking at a photo of my dad and I in front of a pub in Terry Glass. It's called Patty's Pub. And it's actually right across the street from the cemetery where my uncle, Patty Cormican, is buried.
2: David Cormican is sitting in his living room in Toronto. He's looking at a photo of him and his father, Michael.
1: So this was August, September of 2022. And uh, it was a beautiful sunny day, and, uh, which is a rarity for Ireland. <laughs> and we decided to go over to the pub and have a little pint in in Paddy's honor. And my dad and I are posing outside at front. My mom wanted a picture because the the lighting was nice. And so, yeah, I mean, my dad's smile kind of says it all. Like he just had this zest for for life. And the, what's great about the pubs too right now is that the, in Ireland they've got double O for for Guinness. And we we're trying to avoid alcohol for my dad. So yeah, he was able to have a double-O Guinness uh, and raise a glass with me.
2: The picture was taken over a year ago in Ireland, a small detour after a trip to London, England. They were in London because Michael Cormican has brain cancer, and the treatment that's helping to extend his life is not yet available in Canada. His family's desire to give their 75-year-old dad more time eventually triggered a desperate effort to bring Michael's treatment to Canada and make history in the process. I'm Michaela Van Kooten, and this is Storylines. This week, I'm taking you to Lethbridge, Alberta, to follow Michael Cormican's fight to become the first Canadian to get a life-extending brain cancer treatment administered here. It's a process that's raised questions about access to healthcare in this country, and how Canadians can get what they need when they need it, right here at home.
1: So it was around uh, the end of October, beginning of November, twenty twenty-one, when my dad first, like, really became aware of. Uh, some issues that were happening for him, mainly in terms of, like, recall, you know, for people's names or certain facts or dates, that type of thing. You know, he couldn't quite put his finger on it, and so he ended up going into his doctors to sort of see what was going on. And, you know, they tested for COVID and it wasn't that, and then they just sort of ruled it as, like, oh, it's just the flu, you know, go home, rest it off, take two weeks. It still persists, come back and see us. And, of course, it still persisted. And then after Christmas, my dad sort of started, over the next two months, just started declining rapidly. And it went from, you know, good days and bad days. And the bad days, there was just days where he would just sort of sit there and stare on the couch, you know, and wouldn't really want to do much of anything.
2: Then, a few days after Valentine's Day last year, David's siblings told him, come home. He knew then that something was really wrong.
1: My mom and my brother took my dad to the hospital to emergency to have him checked out because he was just going into all sorts of failure. That's where they gave him a scan, realized it's a tumor that was in his brain. And not only was it a tumor, it was a tumor the size of a baseball.
2: Michael Cormican was diagnosed with glioblastoma multiform, or GBM. According to Brain Cancer Canada, it's an aggressive and incurable cancer with a median survival rate of just 15 to 18 months. In Canada, the standard of care for patients with GBM includes surgery, radiation, and chemotherapy. Michael's treatment plan started with surgery, but palliative care is often brought up to GBM patients and their families, even before treatment starts.
1: Palliative care was always sort of presented to us. The prognosis was not good. They sort of give you all like the you know he probably he might not walk again he might not ever speak again all these sort of things right um, so it, you go from like worst case doomsday scenarios to um, you know and palliative care is probably only months away.
2: But the Cormackin family wanted more for Michael. They started looking for other options to buy their dad more time. David's sister Aileen, you'll meet her later. She's a radiologist in Australia she started asking colleagues about what other treatments were available. That's how she found out about a new brain cancer therapy called DCVAX. It's a treatment that's gone through global clinical trials, including in Canada, and has been shown to prolong patients' lives. One patient in the study lived for more than eight years. The treatment is available through private clinics in the UK. Health Canada has yet to approve it for use here.
1: It wasn't because we didn't believe in the standard of care or anything like that. It was just, this was an extra piece of ammunition in our arsenal to treat our father. We wouldn't just extend our father's life, it would extend his quality of life.
2: Once the family found out about DCVAX, they quickly tracked down a doctor in England who was willing to treat Michael.
1: By March, uh, late in March, my dad was discharged um, between Calgary and, and Lethbridge hospitals. Uh, and then it was June of that year when we made our first trip to the UK.
2: At a clinic in London, a team is making a bespoke vaccine out of Michael's tumor and his own white blood cells. They start with a process called leukapheresis It's similar to dialysis, except instead of just cycling blood, The process removes the white blood cells and filters them out to create a vaccine. Then, at the same London clinic, Michael is injected with this custom vaccine, a vaccine made from Michael's own antibodies that will fight his brain cancer. After each treatment, David could see his dad improving.
1: Every day was leaps and bounds better than the, the one prior. Just in terms of his spirit, his vitality, the words he was using, the formation of sentences, his ability to have full conversations with people started to return.
2: Over the next 14 months, the family traveled to London for vaccine injections five times. Each trip cost thousands of dollars, costs that are not covered by the Alberta Healthcare Insurance Plan. And the Cormican family are not the only family who felt pushed to go abroad and pay out of pocket for life-extending treatments. I've heard of
3: people getting second mortgages. I've heard of people who have had to cash out their investments using their savings. Some have started GoFundMe pages.
2: Angela Scalisi is the chair of Brain Cancer Canada, an organization that raises money for brain cancer research.
3: In most provinces, they have access to the standard of care, which is surgery, chemo and radiation. Perhaps not feeling that the treatment that's available in Canada is effective leads them to research treatment options that are happening outside of our country.
2: New brain cancer treatments are available around the world, but Scalisi says that Canada has often been late to trial and approve these new treatments. And many Canadians aren't willing to wait for Health Canada to make them available here. People who are desperate to at least extend the lives of their loved ones Google cancer terms and join Facebook groups where they share information about new medicines, supplements, and innovative treatments. And some are willing to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars to go abroad to get those treatments. Scalisi knows the urgency this disease creates for the families of GBM patients. Her brother also has brain cancer.
3: This tumor is invading his brain. It invades in such a demonic way. My grandmother had breast cancer. I I saw what breast cancer did. Um, She had a lumpectomy. She did do chemo and radiation. She lived until, you know, another 20 years and died of old age at 84. I can tell you that cancer did not do to her what it's doing to my brother.
2: And it's not only about extending life. For Scalise and others, it's about extending the quality of life. Hoping for not just more years, but more good years.
3: The reason why people are interested in looking outside of Canada is because the treatment options that are being offered are not toxic. So if it's offering the same life expectancy, if not more so, then why not do a treatment that's not going to leave you bedridden and not going to leave you paralyzed and not leave you cognitively impaired and not leave you blind, right? And not leave you in palliative care. Go after the treatment that will allow you to spend, if it's 15 to 18 months, traveling and living as fully as you possibly can and feeling well while you do it.
2: After Michael's first surgery, chemotherapy, and five rounds of vaccine treatment in England, Michael's tumor had shrunk from the size of a baseball to the size of a peanut kernel.
1: Everything just progressively got better. Every time he got the vaccine, it was either like it stayed the same or it was a mild improvement.
2: But then, after 14 months, an MRI showed that the tumor started to grow again. The Cormican family had to pause Michael's next scheduled vaccine in order to prepare him for surgery. It's a decision they regret. The family soon found out that doctors would not be able to operate on Michael. They had to get Michael back to England and back on his vaccine schedule as soon as possible. But now it would be too risky for Michael to fly. With the new tumor growth, the changes in air pressure could put too much pressure on his brain. The family only had one option, Get the vaccine to Canada, somehow. Through sheer chance, David knew where to start. On a previous trip to London, he'd learned that Advent Bioservices, a company instrumental in bringing the DC Vax to the UK, had started offering to courier the vaccine outside of Britain, as long as a doctor in that country had permission and was willing to administer. The injection.
1: We wanted to use my father's GP since he was based in Lethbridge, and it would be less strain on him to have to travel to Lethbridge, you know, or across town, uh, as opposed to to Calgary, two and a half hours away.
2: Peter Kegler had only started seeing Michael as a patient since his diagnosis, but he agreed to give him the vaccine at his Lethbridge clinic. Once Dr. Kegler was on board, he and the Cormicans worked together to get the vaccine into the country they started with Health Canada's Special Access Program, or SAP. SAP is a national program that gives permission for Canadians to receive procedures not offered in Canada if they meet a specific criteria. You have to apply, but even applying comes with risk.
1: It was a bit of a a gamble uh, because you do have to make the declaration that he's unfit to travel as you make the application to Health Canada uh, under the Special Access Programme. So if we'd got denied for the program, you know, there would be that risk of not being able to go back to London.
2: The family decided to take the risk. They applied for permission to bring the DC vax to Canada. But as they waited for an answer, Michael began to deteriorate, experiencing a standard side effect from a topside, the chemotherapy his oncology team had put him on.
1: So he got... Ulcers all down his throat, in his mouth, on his lips, and it just made eating and drinking incredibly painful uh, and difficult for my father to the point at which he was not able to eat or drink anything anymore.
2: Finally, the family got word Michael Cormican had just become the first person approved to get his brain cancer vaccine administered in Canada. Over the next few weeks, David coordinated across time zones, approvals in Ottawa, his family in Alberta, the drug company reps in California and London. On July 19th, he finally got word that the vaccine had been shipped. But there was another problem. David filled me in by phone.
4: We woke up to... um a couple of panicked uh, messages from Dr. Kegler's office because one there was a, an invoice for 50,000 British pounds with a customs charge uh, based on the 50,000.
2: That fee was on top of the $250,000 that the family had already paid for the vaccine treatments in London and the $41,000 they paid for this vaccine to be delivered to Canada. Then just days before the vaccine was to arrive, Michael took a turn for the worse.
4: We've kind of been on a little bit of alert over the last couple of days just because of my dad's worsening condition. Uh, On the one hand, you want to be optimistic, but on the other hand, you're also realistic. You want to make sure you tell someone you love them if it is the last time you get to say it, you know.
2: The day before the vaccine is to arrive in Lethbridge, the family wasn't even sure if Michael would make it through the night. David, his three siblings, and his mom start saying their goodbyes, but Michael wasn't giving up.
4: For my father, like, his whole thing going into this, obviously it was for himself, you know, uh, first and foremost, but I think part of why he also made damn sure he made it through the night was because he wants to make this precedent as a milestone for Canadians.
5: Getting it here is great. We put a lot of hard work and effort into it, so we were happy that it was finally approved and that it can be administered in Canada. We're kind of paving the way for others.
2: So, On July 24th, Gloria Cormican is with her husband at their family doctor's office in Lethbridge, Alberta, where Dr. Kegler is getting ready to administer the vaccine injection.
1: Well, I have to admit I've been terrified because I did not want to be the link in the chain that uh, kind of fell apart here at the end. Uh, and so it's been that, that's been worrisome for me. Um, however, it's quite exciting to be a part of something that's so new and innovative. And we've talked about this kind of gene therapy forever, well, this method of treatment of cancer. And, and here it is, something that's uniquely prepared from the individual tailored to their specific tumor and, uh, and then using their own um, blood product to help direct the vaccine and its effects on the specific brain tumor, the glioblastoma. So, quite amazing.
0: It's, uh, we're in the future. This is the future.
5: It was no easy feat, but we're very pleased with Dr. Kegler's willingness to
0: <laughs> help us as well.
2: Then, it's time.
1: I'm just flicking it to try and get the air bubbles out. Okay, so we
2: will take this
1: into the room
0: where Michael is. So. Hey, Michael, how's it going? You ready for this? Pretty shallow. Ouch. Doing okay? No. Ouch. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. That's it?
2: It's been milestones like these, making history, and more personal goals that David says have kept his dad going.
1: One of the best things you can do is setting milestones and and goals that someone wants to live for. And so we basically set out doing that. And so some of those things included, um, you know, you wanted to be around to uh, meet Christina, to see us get engaged, to be there for our, our marriage. And then uh, after when we became pregnant, he also that was on the list as well, to, um, to see our son being born and to hold him and say hello and get to make some memories with him.
2: Sadly, on August 6th, Michael Cormican passed away just a few weeks short of meeting his new grandson. While holding his son, David reflects on what it would have meant if his dad was able to get access to the vaccines in Canada sooner.
1: If the vaccine was already available in Canada prior to us getting the approval for it. Uh, the, the difference it would have made, I believe, again I'm not a doctor, is that we wouldn't have had significant delays. Every day, every hour you delay that injection is extra days that the tumor gets to
0: grow.
2: Michael's eldest daughter, the radiologist in Australia, flew home in time for her father's injection. Dr. Aileen Cormican says that new cancer care treatments are not as easily accessible in Canada, partly due to high costs for drug manufacturers.
5: Because, you know, they would have probably spent the last 20 years and sunk several millions into it. Over time, it becomes, you know, affordable in biotech as it becomes, you know, gross manufactured and non-mass and cheaper and whatever. But that shouldn't be a right living step for Canadians. And that will be because we had two family friends during this last 17 months that acquaintances that reached out to us to ask about the immunotherapy drug and I tried to help guide them on what they could look for, you know, trials and things and gave them all this stuff on this and then they ended up not doing it in the end because they couldn't afford it.
2: David says the whole process, flights, accommodations, vaccine treatments and customs fees have cost the family approximately $400,000. Dr. Cormican wants more people to be able to find government programs that may help them afford new cancer treatments. There should be more work around it, to be honest, um,
5: in Canada. Like, there's good things we do, but there's a lot more we could do as a system to
2: increase accessibility for patients and people. In search of financial support, the Cormican family discovered the Out-of-Country Health Services Fund for Alberta. Applications go before a committee to decide if the program will help pay for services provided outside of Canada, when those same services aren't available here. But not everyone is approved. The Cormackin family didn't get funding for their dad's treatment, falling short of the program's criteria. And on top of that, Dr. Cormackin says, the family would not have found the new treatment that was helping their father without her medical training and advocacy.
5: If we didn't keep pushing and me asking, hey, what about this one? Can we try this thing? We would have never gotten there. So a lot of it was, again, being our own advocates um, in the system. And you shouldn't have to be. You shouldn't have to be an advocate for yourself in the system. The system should be set up for patients to be
2: advocates for them. When it comes to the slow pace of getting cancer treatments approved in Canada, Angela Scalisi of Brain Cancer Canada has some sense of what's at the root of the problem.
3: We do need to have a conversation with Health Canada. You know, we understand that there's a process, uh, and they're under the impression that their process is easy,
2: and it's not. I reached out to Health Canada, asking why immunotherapy vaccines have not yet been approved here. In an email statement, they said, the decision to seek authorization of a product in Canada rests with the manufacturer. When sponsors decide they want to market a drug in Canada, they make a submission to Health Canada. Without an application from a sponsor, Health Canada cannot authorize a therapeutic product, even if that product is approved elsewhere. The vaccine is not named in the list of drug and health product submissions under review, which is publicly available on the Government of Canada's website. I reached out to representatives of DC VAX to ask if they're intending to seek approval in Canada. They declined to confirm.
3: But I think the conversation has to be, why are people, more people, applying to Health Canada for approval of novel treatments or technology? Um, And I think that there's just far too rigorous, uh, perhaps, a criteria that it makes it impossible for these manufacturers to apply. So they're not wasting their time and money because it's also extremely expensive to do so. Um, that they're not even going to the table because what's the point? You know, I think the proof is in the fact that we don't have these new trial options. We haven't seen a new drug for brain cancer in 20 years. Is it a manufacturing issue? Is it a scientist issue? Or is it a Health Canada making it impossible to approve novel drugs?
2: Health Canada says, the length of time it takes to review new treatments seeking approval depends on several factors, including but not limited to a need for additional data, discussions with the sponsor, and requirements for updates to safety information. They also said, quote, Health Canada will authorize the use of a drug or a vaccine only if the independent and thorough scientific review of all the data in the submission, show that the benefits outweigh the potential risks.
3: So I think we're looking at policymakers absolutely, but there's this systematic issue at hand that we have to start somewhere to start kind of unveiling things.
2: It's unclear how easy it will be for other Canadians to access novel cancer vaccines at home, like Michael did. Angela Scalisi is counting on her brother being able to get his brain cancer vaccine, administered in Canada too, because soon he may be unable to travel.
3: My brother is leaving for Germany for his first vaccine. But my brother had a third surgery on June 1st, which left him paralyzed on his left side. We have had to hire someone, uh, someone who can physically support my brother, to help him travel to Germany, which is an additional expense. My concern is because this vaccine requires that he visits Germany on a monthly basis. What happens if my brother is not in a position or physically able in any way to get to Germany?
2: David says the family's journey to buy his dad more time, despite the costs, bureaucratic hurdles, and emotional toll, was worth it.
1: The fact that You know, my dad has doubled and tripled, quadrupled the original expectations. I can say that my father, he never lost his dignity in any of this.
2: Since we recorded, Angela Scalisi's brother has continued to receive vaccine treatment in Germany. She tells me he's regaining his balance, mobility, and memory. The family is hopeful. Today's episode was reported and produced by me, Michaela Van Kooten It was story edited by A.C. Rowe, who is also the producer of Storylines Special thanks to Jennifer Chevalier The show is part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit I'm Michaela Van Kooten, thanks for listening